Hello, everyone. This is Eric Pennington, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We're glad that you've tuned in. A few things we wanted to tell you at the beginning of the show, and that's this podcast was created to be a tool to help you, primarily to discover and grow your EQ. Science and our own lived experiences confirm that the better we are at managing our emotions, the better we're going to be at making decisions, which leads to a better life. And that's something we all want. We're glad that you've taken out the time today to listen and hope that something that you hear will lead to a breakthrough. Hey, one last thing. We'd really appreciate a review on whichever platform you use to listen. And if you want to, leave some comments about what you heard today, as well as follow and subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode as we continue this journey. And with that, the show begins. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. We have a very special show for you today. I am joined by Tina Schweiger, who is the co-founder and CEO of Mindful Appy, and Michelle Stenson-Ross, who's the chief marketing officer for Mindful Appy. I've been looking forward to having them on the show for quite a while because we've had numerous conversations outside of the podcast about their tool, if I can call it a tool. (laughs) It's more than that, I think. Um, However, it's something that I really would like our audience, for all of you guys, to be able to get an understanding of what's happening uh, beyond just conversations about our emotions and conversations about mental health and well-being, but using technology, and these are, these are my words, Tina and Michelle will maybe correct me a little bit, but I think using technology to move that wellness needle in a direction that we all want to go. So with that, Tina, Michelle, welcome to the Spirit of EQ podcast. Thank you. We're Thank so you glad so to be here. So um, from the perspective of, um, I always try to get this out of the way earlier. I I know people get your title and get mindful, happy, and that kind of thing, uh, which is the name of the the tool. Sorry, I probably didn't get that at the beginning. But maybe if I could start with you, Tina, could you maybe tell the audience a little bit about what you do at Mindful Happy and maybe a little bit of your background? Absolutely. Mindful Appy is currently a tech startup. So we are a women-led tech startup. Um, I have had a lifelong passion for understanding, interpreting, measuring emotions. It's been something that's been with me as long as I can remember. And this company was started two years ago by myself, Michelle, another co-founder as well on the technical side. And our goal is to measure emotions in a way that hasn't been done before, aggregate those emotions so that you can see how groups of people feel, and you can monitor the changing emotions based on different events in a business uh, or those for the employees or for customers and um, adapt and make changes and listen and try experiments and actually be empathetic at scale. Wow. That's awesome. And uh, Michelle, uh, I neglected to state that you are the co-founder, but I got the chief marketing officer part. So I feel like I'm doing at least halfway good. So maybe tell the audience a little bit about you and your background. 
So my background is in business communication and marketing. I have been in the digital marketing industry for about 12, 13 years now. And I have worked in-house. I have worked agency. I have worked as an independent contractor and consultant. And part of what drove me to work here at Mindful Appy on this particular mission is just my work experience over the years that we spend so much of our adult lives in the workplace, even more so than we spend with our families. And that place needs to be as healthy and supportive and empathetic as any other place. I have I have war stories. Can I just put it that way? I have war stories about work. <laughs> I think we all do, but yeah, I get it. And if I can do something with what we're doing at Mindful Appy to make the workplace a better place, I certainly want to try. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. And and quite frankly, as we got introduced, uh, what, it's probably getting close to a year now, mm-hmm. that was what really struck me um, was kind of our sort of synergistic belief system, right? Where we, we, we see that what's happening. And Michelle, you hit on something really cool. Uh, well, it's not cool because it's happening, but it's cool in connection about this idea of like the horror stories, mm-hmm. you know, um, where you maybe I know from my perspective, the times where I've, I've been in that hallway and I'm observing and I'm going, this is happening. And it's almost as if it's just being ignored because we got to get to our quarterly numbers or we've got a we've got that project that's due in a week or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad that you that you brought that up. So. Um, I think I get a sense based on what you both have said about maybe what inspired you to start it. But uh, and I know we'll probably talk a little bit about this, but startups are not for the faint of heart. (laughs) (laughs) Am I correct in that? You're very correct. (laughs) So talk about the inspiration about Mindful and even talk about maybe some of the trepidation that you both had about doing this in in a startup uh, fashion. Do you want me to take this, Michelle? <laughs> oh, yes, please. I, you can start this one for sure. It is not my first rodeo. You should know. I did start my first business after 9-11, 20 years ago. Uh, I just accident, happenstance, I was a graphic designer. Uh, so I have a degree in graphic design and I was a graphic designer and 9-11 hit all of the businesses were closing, everything was in chaos. And all of a sudden I had nowhere to work and a whole bunch of clients who needed stuff. And so I had a design firm all of a sudden and had to learn how to be a leader. And I made some glorious mistakes and I'm sure I have provided war stories for others. <laughs> <laughs> now there's some honesty. I appreciate that. I appreciate yes, that. I sure have. I eventually sold my agency to a larger one in 2014 And I was ready for some bigger challenges than new mistakes to make. And um, I did my four years there. I still stay on as a consultant from time to time, but took a a step back to get a master's degree in organizational psychology. I was really ready to learn something new to take my design skills, Mm -hmm. put a whole new lens on it from a scientific point of view, psychology, data analysis, psychometrics, really diving into the deep end of the nerdy side of psychology and psychometrics. 
I love it. And I got so inspired by my learnings there um, at the Harvard Extension School, which is awesome. It's a just easy to um, access because you can do the education and get a Harvard education from wherever you are. You know, it's, it's anywhere. Um, and that education brought my design skills to the next level. And I was like, hey, look at these experiences that we could design. Look at how we could capture these experiences in a different way. And it led me to designing a new model for how emotions relate to one another, how attitudes relate to that, and then how you can leverage mindfulness and those kinds of skill development tools to improve your own emotional intelligence. And that landed in the expression of a technology that's text message based and um, a learning tool for everyone. Wow. That's awesome. Um, Michelle, how about you, some of your perspectives? And I'm going to bring you both together back to the design side, because you said something that's really powerful, too. Well, for me, I I wound up getting an education like in the second degree, thanks to Tina. And one of the things that has really fascinated me since we kicked this off is taking a method of soliciting feedback that has been around since the 70s. So, and and Tina can tell you all about this as well, but starting in the 70s, when we had pagers available, Csikszentmihalyi um, decided, hey, this, this piece of technology might be a great way for me to gather information. And so he pioneered the experience sampling method where we disrupt people's lives ask them a question about how they feel in the right now and get a response right then. So no thinking back, no, no real cognitive, whatever. It's just what, what's going on right now, report and move on. And so we have been able to use the upgrades in technology. So instead of pagers, we're obviously using smartphones and the advent of the emoji, which the emoji portion of this just, it gives me glee. It really does to be able to collect valid emotional feedback with a stupid little smiley face is absolutely the most wonderful thing we get to do on a daily basis. Wow. I, I'm so sorry, because as you are saying that, I'm thinking about my daughter who is going through, unfortunately, uh, the settlement process with an insurance company. Um, she was in a car accident back in January and they've been asking her for the next thing and the next thing. And then the next thing. And I thought we were done. And then she sends me a text. Well, dad, now they say that I've got to provide them this. And I went right to that. Shake my head thing <laughs> for the one where, you know, and I put three of them in there. Cause it was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so to your point, that's real time for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, no mm-hmm. doubt. Um, so, and we can talk a little bit more about some of the other things that maybe set you off on this journey, but you, Tina, you were talking about design and Michelle, I know your background design and all of that. It just seems such a powerful synergy to be able to create an experience and a, and a tool that captures, or I want to say connects to where I'm at emotionally. I've always been fascinated by that, like with colors, right? 
Um, I, 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 even before being somewhat educated about, well, there's a reason why that website has that type of blue for yes. their type of content, but it's just such a powerful thing. Um, do you find that the design piece is, cause it's easy to dismiss the design when you're thinking about, oh, this is a tool and it'll do X and do Y, but talk a little bit about that design piece. Um, if you would. The design is the gateway drug to psychology. <laughs> It is as a designer, you know, one of the things, and I even took a semester when I was maybe 2003 and taught a class in color theory, uh, companies like Pantone have always provided great education for designers in, if you select a red, you want to excite, you want to increase the heart rate, you want to stimulate. If you select a green or a blue, you want to calm. And that was my gateway drug into understanding how, as a designer, my goal is to design experiences. And that's now called UX design. And as you know, <laughs> you, yeah. it's a whole career you can get into now to design experiences. So what better way to uh, learn how to design ex human experiences than learning human psychology? I've almost gotten myself forgetting the question that I've, that you've started with, because I'll start going down a rabbit hole. Thank you for doing that because I have had, uh, this is, I have an issue of let's just keep talking and we could end up talking about Austin city limits and Stevie Ray Vaughan. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute, bring it back. So I, I guess what I'm wondering too, and, and for the audience, uh, Tina is looking at me. If you're watching the video, you can see this, but if you're not, um, my daughter is a UX designer and Tina and I have had multiple conversations about her in that regard. But, um, the thing that um, I, I, Michelle, you mentioned that I think was very powerful too is this idea of real time. Um, mm -hmm. Because in, in the world in which we run at Spirit, um, Spirit of EQ, obviously there's, there's a time and space that we ask you to do an assessment. And this assessment is the answering of, you know, a hundred or so questions and it's getting your reflection off of time past. And, and it's very valuable, obviously. It's a very mm -hmm. powerful tool. But I've always thought, and this is kind of the thing that really made me want to talk to you guys way back when, is that, okay, what if I wanted to know where I'm at today? And, and I get it, it. Your tool is not going to say, okay, your assessment is now updated and here's the report. But even something that can tell me, oh, wait a minute, you know what, if I look back over my day today, it seems like there's a lot of those shake my head things. Mm -hmm. Does that mean I'm, is there a lot of frustration happening in my day? What is that telling me? That kind of idea is, I, I think is truly, truly powerful. So that's why I kind of went into the design thing and the experience thing as well. Um, but talk about that real time thing a little bit more. Um, if I may, I so Tina said that design is the gateway into psychology, right? Well, yeah. I would also say that emotional awareness is the gateway into emotional intelligence and empathy. So yeah. when you think about it, the real-time element married to good design means that we create an opportunity for somebody to pause and be aware of the right now. That, as you just said, um, it's not until I reflect back, even across the course of like the last 
12 to 24 hours that I realized that, oh, I've, I've been really frustrated today. We, we so frequently experience things and not really process and pause long enough to acknowledge that that's what's going on. And, and we get to the end of the day and we realize we're exhausted. We're cranky. We may be hangry, um, all of these things. And we're like, why? And it takes that reflection and awareness. And the awareness is the important part here because awareness in real time means that we start to adjust our behavior a lot faster a lot sooner so that we don't wear ourselves out so that instead of feeling just frustrated and powerless, we start to do the things that actually make that better. Because what is frustration? Frustration is a signal that tells us that we need to change something, that we need to do something different, that maybe we need to step away from this and just take a break and let somebody else deal with it for a moment. And the quicker we can pay attention to that signal and act on what it's really telling us, the more effective we're going to be in our lives. Yeah, and that's that's those are great observations, Michelle, because it, it also gets me thinking about this idea of um, and we tell our clients this. This is the foundational principle around emotional intelligence, but it is a beginning of a journey. It doesn't you don't learn emotional intelligence and then you're good to go. Uh, and yes, for wonky oriented people like me, yeah, having an app, having my report, uh, going on that walk, getting cued to, Hey, it's time to take a break. I mean, cause I'm intentional about my life. Uh, and yes, I'm one of the crazy ones. I believe that that possibility is there for every human being. Now I get it. Some people are going to say, no, thanks. Some people are going to, oh, I'm going to get to that. But the reality is it's still there. And I think when you have tools at your disposal to be able to go, let me check in. And and there's something that's very interesting to me. When you talk about the pace and how fast and and all of that and the being able to course correct and and more of a real-time nature, um, I've always been fascinated about especially when we get into engagements and and people will say, I don't have time. You know, we've got this going on. We have this project, we have this. And, and I'm going, you know, the only people I think on the planet that could say that I don't have time, maybe the prime minister of Sweden, uh, maybe I, maybe Elon Musk, maybe Warren Buffett, but regardless of the names and the application, we all know there's a very small, small universe that could actually say that that's a, that's a reason. But even that, right, they still could find some time. No yeah. one is totally without that. Um, so uh, what, what did you guys, when you were designing or beginning to think about what the app could be or would be, uh, what did you want the employee to get from the experience? Such a good question. I am an avid practitioner of human-centered design. It's uh, There's an organization in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Is that Pitt the right word, the right city? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Luma Institute for Human-Centered Design, and I've take, taken all of their training. This is really a result of doing design for the, for the sake of humans, and humans at the center of everything. We all share 
the same emotions. We don't necessarily experience them to the same level or the same depth or the same breadth, but, you know, arguably we all are sometimes happy. We're all are sometimes sad. We're sometimes in a bad mood. We're sometimes triggered. We're sometimes in love. You know, there's all kinds of different emotional experience, despite where we come from, who we are, our background, our country, our culture, our history, we all share that experience. And as a designer, that's the heart of where I wanted to go to to design the product that we're getting down to the core of the human experience. And we're sampling that in real time so that we can make decisions about how we might want to adjust our own responses to things. We almost get the ability to design our own life experience. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the ultimate human-centered design is designing our own human experiences proactively and being intentional about that. It is good to have that information. And I, you've seen me, and even in this call, I'm having a hard time remembering a question after I start answering it. How can I remember what I was feeling two hours ago and then actually build a frame of reference to know what my patterns are? And, you know, if Michelle is talking to me about this, it, re- it reminds me of this. I mean, there's just too much for our little brains to hold. Oh, <laughs> so and, and, our- you know, I'm, I'm interrupting you. And, yes. and it's only because in those situations, and, and I had this yesterday in a recording for a podcast where we got a technical difficulty. Now you could say, well, technical difficulties happen, but you know what my emotion was? Oh, I feel embarrassed. I, they probably think, well, and, and then I had, I mean, this stuff is real time all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. so Tina, you may be forgetting the answer that where you were going with it. Well, there might be the emotion of frustration, right? You might say, see, I, I, this happens to me too often, right? Yes. Now, what, yes, exactly. So versus, and we come back to Michelle, what you were saying about that slow down, that pause, right? Where you can kind of go, well, hold on, wait a minute. Is that really true? Mm-hmm. Uh, am I, am I really, is there something wrong with me because I didn't do X, Y, and Z? Well, no, no, that's not true. But if you're in the seconds, right, and you boom. So, yeah, that's that's just super powerful. Um, and I was almost going to lead you down a rabbit hole. So I'm going to pause there. Keep going. <laughs> the The point of the technology is, is that I, I mean, I you could ask me a survey about how I felt about something, you know, mm-hmm. last week and it won't be accurate. That answer won't be accurate. So what is the most accurate experience is our reactions. How are we reacting? In the future, I have plans to expand our product to take not only the emotional reaction, but what thought is happening alongside that emotional reaction and what action are you doing or what is happening? Because there's an, there's emotions, but emotions are really important. And as we are, are growing our company, what we're really learning is that how you make sense of emotions is by understanding the context So if Mm -hmm. we can understand what emotions are happening when they're happening and start tying context around that, wow, we start getting into really powerful data, which, you know, might Mm -hmm. inform some artificial intelligence engines about the human condition someday as we start tying the emotional reporting in with biometrical data or contextual sampling or, or finding patterns and you know, mm-hmm. uh, that is that is quite the rabbit hole that uh, I'm currently in and will probably be on for a while. I hear you. I um, hear you. 
Michelle, if, I could, if I could add to this, so what would an individual get out of this? Yeah. Right now, the current iteration of Mindful Appy, the individual already gets the opportunity to exercise some emotional awareness. They get that prompt to pause and go, how do I really feel right now? How do yeah. I really feel right now about this particular thing? So that's what they get right now in the very near future. As Tina mentioned, we want to take this beyond just the awareness to, okay, now that I'm aware, what's my next step and what's my next step. And I'm sitting here, I'm looking in the camera, but just beyond, you know, where the camera is sitting, there is the emotional model that Tina created about moving from, you know, possibly a negative emotional state to a resilient state to a thriving state. And on an individual level, that is our goal. That's what we're working toward is helping people not only build awareness, which they can do right now, but yeah. work on emotional resilience and emotional thriving. And we're designing That's a card game to do this. I, and you know, I remember that. Yes, a card and, game and a native app, which we are hoping to will have out by the end of the year for sure. So the, there was something you said there, uh, Michelle, um, about... Um, this idea about those three different sort of levels of health, mm -hmm. as I might call them, right? Um, and, you know, obviously in the world in which we run and the world that you run in, you know, the the names and the, the terms and all that stuff can vary. But I think there's one underlying theme is moving people to a better place from mm -hmm. a health perspective, Right. Um, I, I am a firm believer in the four pillars, spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional, right? That to me is the thing. Um, we're specific right here today. We're talking more along the lines of brain health and, and the mental side, the emotional side. Um, but it's almost in some ways I'm thinking if, if what these tools do, yours, mine, and others out there who are working toward this, it's just getting our culture to just, well, okay, hold on. The most important asset you have is your life. It's not your job. It's not your title. It's not the car. It's not the house. It's not the stock options. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But what has happened, I think, my opinion only, in America is we flipped it. We've put our life at the back of the auditorium right and we put those other things up in the front row and it's like no 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 it's not like you have to escort those things out but it's like you wait a minute your life should be in the front row and then those other yeah. things right yeah. um so that's i think michelle to, to your point i mean that's very powerful is is and, and that to me is an underlying theme that i think is what's behind the work that we do right Yes. Um, all right. So before I go to, cause I want to talk about, okay. So, you know, the atypical what's in it for the employer, um, you know, as you guys are talking and, and, and this probably will reveal to you guys, the audience already knows I'm one of the crazy ones, but do you guys think that we talk to ourselves enough? That we do talk to we, ourselves enough. Should we be talking to ourselves more? Do you think? I and would, here's I would almost here's, say too much. Okay. And, and to your point, Tina, 
Yeah, I can see where you're going because negative narratives and, and, and all that stuff. But let's just say that that it's a baseline of you're healthy, right? Um, I guess I'm thinking that any tool that can help me go, okay, Eric, um, man, as I'm looking at your report for today, it looks like frustration and disappointment have been the predominant for you. What's going on? Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you frustrated about? What are you disappointed about, Eric? Because disappointment and frustration are not my enemy. They're not enemies. That Emotions are not designed to harm you, right? Our data. Emotions data. Data. Right. So, all right. So as I'm looking at my data, my data says frustration. Wait a minute. That client never called me back. And then one of my partners asked me for something that I've given them three times. And, oh, well, are those, and that's where I'm going with, do we talk to ourselves enough? I, and I, and I totally thank you, Tina, for kind of giving some clarity around, yes, too much self-talk around negative narratives and those kind of things. That's not healthy. I'm speaking of when we are in that sort of that, again, that baseline that we're healthy tools like this to me, just kind of leap out of going, Oh, I've got something. I've got something here that can help me in real time. Like you said, Michelle, keep me abreast about how things are going. Mm-hmm. So uh, from that, that's where I, I threw out that odd question. That, that brings me right to my passion of emotions are data. And it's, it's, it's like less talking, uh, uh, well, more observing and less talking, right? If mm-hmm. there's a well challenge, said. right? So when you feel frustrated and when you feel disappointed, how do you observe that without getting engrossed and pulled into that feeling. Well, you have to wait until you can, (laughs) (laughs) you have to give it the time and the space and observe it. You know, maybe where is it in my body? Maybe what is it that I'm around? Maybe getting into the physical body so that you can uh, keep yourself from going into this self-judgment cycle. Uh, But then just getting to the point where you don't judge yourself for having those emotions and be like, wow, get curious. What is this disappointment telling me? Maybe there's something that I'm not being honest with myself about. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's something I'm not being honest with my partner, with my coworkers, with my friends, with my family, and take that information in and, and take it as an opportunity to be introspective and think more about the bigger picture and less about what uh, our, our, our nascent teenagers that are stuck inside our <laughs> brains are saying, which is, oh my God, people are thinking I'm crazy. People are thinking I'm horrible. I can't get anything done, blah, blah, blah. Those are our teenager thoughts that are just stuck with us, mm-hmm. but we're all in the same boat and we all have the same emotional experiences and we all have the same insecurity. We, you know, it, imposter syndrome isn't really a syndrome. It's just the way that we are. <laughs> So let's observe it. You know what? Uh, You guys, um, this may be familiar to you. I know know the term has been used in in multiple areas. Um, I I had a chance to do a brief little interview with um, a group of uh, interns. Uh, This was like two weeks ago. And and they were looking for my insights on, you know, what would you recommend for college students who may be dealing with a lot of anxiety? And it was kind of, looped around the whole, you know, the era of the pandemic and rapid change. And as I was preparing for it, you know, I I had some ideas specific to, okay, here's some strategies and all that. But I started with, 
And I got this from Stephen Colbert, whom I love. Um, I think he's brilliant. Um, he, he relayed a story about when he was in college and it was a very difficult time. He started to move. Things were moving toward he was going into a depression uh, and he was out running. I think it was somewhere in New York City and he was with uh, a good friend of his who was going to college with him as well. And they were sitting on a park bench and, you know, they're heavy breathing. They had been running and there's this silence and most of the silence rooted around. They're kind of winded. Right. And then the friend speaks up. You are enough. You are enough. And Stephen Colbert being, again, pretty daggone brilliant and the comedian in him, he knows about timing and it's just the way he delivered that. It was so powerful. And that has been a resounding theme at the beginning of so many of the talks, so many of the interviews is that if we can just get that settled, the three of us today, where we're at, we're enough. And yes, I get it. Michelle, uh, you, you might want to work on, you know, uh, you know, being a better marketer. Tina, you might want to get into better physical shape. I might want to. But right now, baseline, we're enough. Mm-hmm. Because I think so many people feel like they're this rehab project. They feel that, oh, my gosh, if I can just fix that frustration thing, then I will. Or if I could just get that job, then I am. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you're enough. And yes, keep improving, but you're always enough. Right now. Mm-hmm. Right, right now. now. Um, if if I may, I kind of want to address this. I'm feeling a lot of anxiety thing because what we're hoping to accomplish, not just technologically, but within our fellow humans is to go, okay, you just acknowledged that you're anxious that you experience anxiety on the regular in your life. Well, what, what's driving that? What is that anxiety telling you regardless of what, what circumstance might be driving somebody's anxiety? What does anxiety just in general signal that you probably don't feel like you're in control of everything, which is real, by the way, there's very little that we can actually control in our, in the lives around us. And that you're anticipating some sort of danger or some sort of complication or you are anticipating something negative happening to you in the future. Mm -hmm. And once you understand that that's what anxiety is telling you, then you've got an opportunity to go, okay, if that's the case, how do I want to respond? And I'm saying this as somebody who actually has regular bouts with physical anxiety in that something can trigger me emotionally to feel anxious. And then my heart rate goes up. My breathing gets super shallow. My blood pressure goes up. Um, my nervous system goes into fight or flight. And now my muscles are starting to tense up and I really have to work because my body over the years has become so accustomed to getting ready for whatever, for whatever it is I'm anticipating that I really have to work to get myself to relax again. So I completely understand where, you know, your, your students that you were talking to, are, you know, that's, that's a difficult place to be. It physically feels so gross, 
but what I need to be able to do and what I do in order to manage that physical manifestation of the anxiety is slow down and go, okay, why am I anxious? What's causing that? Why am I feeling like I'm either out of control Mm -hmm. or I'm anticipating something? Is that thing I'm anticipating really real? Can I make peace with that possibility? Actually, that's kind of the big key with anxiety is, okay, if I'm really worried about that thing, what am I going to do when that thing actually happens? Can I make peace with it? What can I do to, you know, realistically prepare myself for it? Or do I just need to find a way to let that go and realize that, you know what, the odds of that actually happening aren't very high and I'm okay. I'm safe. This is just something that I'm driving within myself and coming back around to what we were talking about as far as emotional awareness and intelligence that's that's actually the process. I just talked you through yeah. one of the ways that you move from feeling this crippling anxiety into something that's more resilient. Yeah. Can I build right. on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So can you imagine this is a, Michelle's individual experience? What's exciting to me about Mindful Appy is she's just representative. You have all kinds of people in an organization experiencing what Michelle, whether it's a university and its students, which we're doing an experience uh, project with right now, or an organization where people are working together and a little emoji that just said, that's just like the head exploding or the fear emoji can contain everything that Michelle is talking about for one individual human. Could you imagine having the data uh, of how people of, of the breakdown. Well, how many people in my organization are feeling anxious and stressed or skeptical right now? Do I need to step back and reassure people because everyone is afraid right now because we've just had a round of layoffs and everyone's wondering if they're next? Do we need to take a moment to stop and explain a few things, to be more transparent, to provide more services, to do whatever it is that we need to do as an organization to make sure that our people feel understood, heard, and supported. One of yeah. the most exciting projects we're doing right now is with a Perscolis nonprofit organization in New York that trains underrepresented individuals for careers in technology. And we're mm-hmm. working with their head of DEIB and helping them understand how we might improve their sense of belonging and belonging in an organization I, I don't know how else you would measure it than measuring human emotions because mm-hmm. you know it when you belong, you feel yeah. it. And when you don't belong, oh boy, you know it. Oh, and yeah. those are the times when you're the most afraid to actually speak up and say, hey, I don't feel like I'm hurt. I don't feel like I'm understood. I'm fraught with anxiety right now. And if there's something that an organization could hear, see, do, and, and help, I believe they would. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's really powerful, Tina. And, you know, it's, it's got me thinking, you know, as we pivot a bit to the employer side or, or the organization side. Um, so you, you kind of alluded to some of it, but I want to let both of you kind of touch on what is it that the employer could gain from uh, an, your, your app? I think it's pretty, pretty much just that, that understanding uh, to follow trends, there's uh, a psychological theory called affective event theory, and it's 
specific to organizations. And it's it's what I mentioned, like maybe you have a series of layoffs, maybe you have a merger and acquisition, maybe you, um, I don't know, it's review time of the year, you're giving out bonuses, it's a company picnic. Our calendars are stacked with different events that happen throughout the year as an organization that we do together. Well, which ones, which of those events are positive events that are having a positive impact? Which ones are negative events? Which one need more care and support? Mm-hmm. Uh, which one do you need to maybe repeat more often? Because, you know, something like the studies that are going on in humor and awe, you know, those kinds of uh, attitudes and emotions, if you can cultivate those proactively, then you could create a, a better sense of unity among mm-hmm. people and yeah. among groups. So, when it comes to to operationalizing a lot of the theories in industrial organizational psychology in leadership, uh, to have the ability to hear what's really happening and hear it in real time and react to it is is the tool that our our software provides uh, so yeah. that companies can be better for their people. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to come to you, Michelle. Um you know, and we might have had this conversation offline in one of our meetings, but um, the the thing I think about, you know, and, and I know like our premise typically when we're going in to work with um, an organization is that we typically want to start with leadership. Um, and, you know, some people, you know, have to, well, are you doing that only because they're the ones who are in charge and they they have the biggest position it's really not about that it's it's an influence thing because when they look at your app and aggregate that data do they know how to have that difficult conversation mm-hmm. have, they, have, have they built that competency of empathy have they built the concept the the competency around consequential thinking because I know when I look back and I know the stories that I hear now, right? So looking back when I was in that world and looking at it current where I'm kind of in that outside looking in and being a consultant, um, there's, there's, there's much work to be done in helping those leaders understand you can't roll your eyes because you think people should just get over it. You can't, um, you can't dismiss somebody's emotions because you don't think those emotions are really that important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, um, right. Right. Go ahead, Michelle. So <laughs> um, I can I can wrap a couple of theories into an example. So when we talk about why leadership and why do we start there and how many leaders do we actually run into that they're in a management position or whatever because they were able to do a particular job well. Not that they were really good at people skills, but they know how to do the job, right? So likely you have a lot of people in leadership that really lack even the basis of emotional awareness. They're not really good at being aware of their own emotions and they're really not good at being aware of the emotions of the people around them. So you've got that, you know, we, we, we got to address the awareness problem. Plus when we talk about um, effective events theory, we also need to be able to address those things that were unexpected. So let's let's say that I've got my team in a meeting and um, 
one person on the team just completely hijacked the conversation, took it in a place that it didn't need to go. Maybe there was some mansplaining. Maybe there were some microaggressions, any number of things. Right. And the person who was supposed to be leading the meeting didn't do anything to just like stop the hijack. Right. It just happened. And now everybody's kind of like, whoa, and feeling a little bit traumatized by what just happened in that meeting. That, that was not intentional. Nobody planned on doing that. But if you've got a leader that's like, just can't even begin to wrap their head around what happened and why it happened to at least be able to get that feedback from that team that post meeting, nobody's feeling good. Yeah, that gives the that leader an opportunity to go. Oh, okay. Nobody's feeling good. This was right after this meeting. What happened in the meeting? Okay, so and so hijacked it. Oh, okay. Now I understand why it was that they might feel that way after this meeting. What can I do to address it and change that tone? Help everybody recover from it acknowledge that it was traumatizing, all, all of those good empathetic things that we need to do. You can't do that if you're not even aware of it. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, Michelle, you you, you really laid it out well. Yeah. yeah. I also just wrote a, a semi-article on mansplaining. So <laughs> at the top <laughs> of my mind right now. Um, uh, you know, and, and you guys are, are being, um, you, you're very kind because immediately <laughs> in my head, I, um, when you said the mansplaining thing, explaining thing, I, I thought to the times I've said to my wife, you know, I'm going to create an app. It's going to be called the stupid app. And it would allow somebody to like check in with their app to see is what I'm about ready to say or do stupid. <laughs> Cause, and then, you know, it would repeat back a message. Hey, I really think this is not something you're going to want to do. Boom. But to your point, I, I like mindful app be better. <laughs> I won't be trying to get that launched anytime soon. Um, so if, if maybe a takeaway for the, the organization is, is that you're, you're just helping them gather more data and real-time information, right? On where, what's the pulse? What's where are they at from an emotion standpoint, right? Well, yes. And also I want to extend an invitation to anyone who is listening one of the things that we really want to try this on is customers. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say you've got, you're a big utility and you need to go install cable or you need, you have attrition, you have churn. I mean, Michelle and I have spent a ton of time in the customer journey and the customer life cycle. And we are just hangry to uh, get somebody with a really large customer problem. And they really want to know where things are breaking down in their customer journey call us. We, we, we'll work with you on that. <laughs> well, and for those in the audience, uh, and you probably have already figured it out from past episodes, we'll have all of Tina and Michelle's information in the show notes. So you can definitely reach out to them directly. And I, I would tell you guys, um, you know, when I think about the ability for what I've seen from your app, and, and I know there's things that you haven't shown me yet, um, but from what I have been able to gather from it, I think it's a very powerful tool. Um, and like any startup, you know, um, I got to believe that, you know, you, you've had your fits and stops, you've had 
avenues you wanted to travel down and found out that avenue is not going to be one that's going to be viable. And then you turn and pivot and all of the rest. Um, but I, I really think you've, uh, you, you've, you've hit something well here. Um, and, and obviously I wish we were in a different environment and, 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 and as much as what I'm saying is I think this pandemic era has been a catalyst for your type of tools and the work that we do, because I think pre pandemic, I think a number of organizations might've had a tendency to see this as a take it or leave it proposition. We might do it. Let's check back. I don't know, maybe, or, and I knew that there were also organizations that were still laser focused on their people and were more open. Mm -hmm. But I think since we're here, I mean, there's no getting around it. Nobody's going to turn the clock back. Um, I'm, I'm just so I'm, I'm ecstatic about being able to be connected with you guys in this journey toward addressing um, because I, I'll kind of end here and I want to not end the show because we got a lot more to talk about because um, I, I want to go to another subject around startups. But um, what I'm finding in, in our path, you know, is this idea that um, being able to help people understand um, that they can lead what I would call a transcendent life. Mm -hmm. And when I think about a transcendent life is that you're existing. And for those that aren't watching the video, uh, my hands going across the screen here, we, we, we are moving here. All of the chaos and the problems and the, the upheaval is happening down here. It does not mean that we never experience any of it, but if we have a mindset that says, you know what, I don't like $6 gasoline, but I'm choosing the option of happiness today. And I have gratitude for my family, gratitude of the fact that, you know what, I got to see the sun today. That to me is kind of that beginning of transcendent living. And again, I come back to your tool. You guys might even think I'm doing a commercial for you guys. And this is truly, this is truly not a commercial. This is it, it's all love here. Uh, but let me let me pivot, guys. So we're a startup. We need all the help we can get. Mm -hmm. Well, to that point, as being a startup, um, tell me about the experience of being a woman-led startup. Because I'm let go. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and maybe she should because of the mansplaining thing, because I, I have a feeling some of that might be in, uh, in that. But I, I guess what I want for the audience is to get an understanding of sort of in the real world. What did you guys experience? What have you experienced? What, is it, what has it been like being a, a woman led startup? Um. I, for those of you that can't see the camera, Tita just like rubbed her forehead um, <laughs> because uh, both of us were looking at that. That was one of the questions that you posed to us before we got on camera and she and I had discussed it. I'm like, that is such a loaded question. It is such a loaded question because honestly, being a woman led startup is a recipe for high frustration because um, you have not only is there the mansplaining, there's gaslighting, there's so much unconscious bias, it's just mind blowing. And we, Tina said it, we have to work 10 times harder than a man owned 
startup, a man-led startup, just mm-hmm. because we we come with a unique set of challenges just by being female. And it it means that yes, we work harder. We kind of don't mind that. Hey, we're women. We're we're already accustomed to working harder in the general, but to work that hard and then be told you're not deserving, you're not qualified, you're not, you know, ready is incredibly frustrating. And I think hopefully that people will glean from the conversation leading up to this point that we know what we're doing. We're certainly qualified. This, yeah. this is not some, you know, you can trust us that we know what we're doing and that this is something that's viable. And I, I'm certain that in listening to the conversation up to this point, plenty of people have been nodding their heads up and down. Yes, I have experienced that. Yes, I see how that would work. You know, I know that to a degree people are like, yeah, that resonates with me. So if that's the case, then all, all of this like behind the scenes business development stuff becomes really frustrating because we know we've got this right. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. Um, and you know, it has made me think about from that perspective of, um, cause immediately as you were talking there, Michelle, I'm, I'm kind of going, okay, so the investment community, how emotionally intelligent are they? And, I don't have an answer for that. Okay. You guys probably do, but here's, here's, here's what's interesting, right? So in the beginning, when I came on with spirit of EQ, um, you know, one of my first reflections was on now who could really potentially use this, where would this emotional, uh, intelligence piece be a powerful tool so that they wouldn't be blindsided by the kind of things that you just said, right? And I reached out to a local, um, they're not government led, it's kind of a government partnership, private, public. They have things like, um, oh gosh, can't think of the word now, um, incubators, you know, uh, there, there's investment that they do. And they've got a whole team around helping flourish the, the, the tech startup world in, in this area. And I reached out to the person who I'd known previously for years and said, hey, here's something I think could be valuable for your investors, right? Uh, our tools, our process, helping gain better understanding. And I could get no lift at all. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, because I think even my last kind of note or message to him was, hey, look, I may not be the right vendor, the right organization to help you. But I really think you need to think about this because I could just see this blind size being created and you guys might miss opportunities because you're stuck in some neural pathway that you couldn't see your way out of. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, from that perspective, I I still haven't given up on that world. It's just, you know, it's like anything else. I I can only spend so much time as a startup, (laughs) you know, kind of knocking on your door to say, I'm telling you, you really could use this. But um, Tina, I'm going to pivot to to you, your thoughts uh, around the the woman led. Oh, so I think I might have given, I think I may have given up on it. Uh, It's hard. It's, um, 
I've, I definitely have given up on taking calls with startup incubators that get on a call with me and say things like, Hey, uh, we want to promote women led businesses. It's all about, uh, startups and it's all about women led. I'm awesome. I'm all about that. We're going to give you $25,000 for 5% of your business. And we're going to give you classes on, on learning a growth mindset. And I'm like, I see. Uh, Oh, and by the way, it's a competition. So you'll probably get eliminated. And by the way, no one will probably invest with you because you're too early. And I don't even know if you're like, you might even be too early for this startup incubator because you don't have revenue yet. Meanwhile, I see plenty of companies getting uh, VC funding without revenue yet, yet all of a sudden this is too early. Uh, so it's it's frustrating to hear uh, words from people that are different than reality that you see out there. There's a, a cognitive dissonance. <laughs> that that's, well, that's well said. And, and, and I get it, right? I, I understand some, yeah. of the, some of the reality is, is, um, is timing and yeah. it is uh lord knows i hope one day that maybe some of those folks that you guys have encountered starts doing work with the firm like ours they wake up and go oh my gosh yeah and maybe maybe there's some out there and i'm this is my over i guess over the top optimism that they go you know what we really blew it with you guys we 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 didn't ask enough questions we didn't linger enough in understanding and we probably were too quick to think well, they probably don't really know much about they're they're just trying you you see where I'm going. I do, mm-hmm. and I think there's a challenge. Like and I, you if you're not watching the video, I'm a, a fair haired, I've got the genes where I don't get gray hair, right? But I'm not that far from 50 years old. Like, and you look at me and I look at me and I'm like, I don't look like a 50 year old person, but I have 30 years of experience. <laughs> show up and people look at me and they're like, oh, you. You, we, you need classes on a growth mindset and you're just getting started. <laughs> Overall, <laughs> there is a, a, an assumption that if you're a woman-led startup, that you right. need basic skills and basic training. I've been running a business for 20 years and I am one class from a master's degree in organizational psychology. I really don't need those things. So yeah. I'm kind of done taking those types of calls. I have A-B tested pitching uh, to VCs with a male co-founder pitching the same pitch that I pitch. And I have a very specific data on uh, that, that lines up with all of the research that says if a woman is pitching, they're going to be asked uh, questions that uh, are downward framing, meaning like, how are you going to protect your IP? How are you going to do this? Like, can you even make it? You know, whereas men get questions like, oh, wow, I see the potential. And how can you maximize that? How can you leverage this? How can you work that strength? And I've done some data collection on the pitching and it has just proven uh, that bias, that unconscious bias. It doesn't matter if I'm pitching to women or I'm pitching to men. Uh, I just kind of stopped pitching in general because it seems to be a big waste of time. Well, you know what? You know, um, and Michelle, I, I cut you off, so I'm, I'm going to come back to you. But th- there's something that when you said there, Tina, um, you know, and it kind of goes back to my thing I was saying about with the college kids about the first statement out of the gate is you are enough. I think in this particular setting, I think the first statement is, would you pay attention? Would you just stop sleepwalking and pay attention for a, just for a minute? Right. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think. You know, I, 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 and I've met and I've worked with people who are 
on the surface of things, they're very nice people, but they're sleepwalking. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's kind of like, you know, the, before you know it, this game called life is going to be over. And do you really want your legacy to be this, that you were just kind of walking blind, you know, because, because what you just described, Tina, to me, that's walking blind. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. But I don't anyway, take it personally, because it's not, it's not about me personally. There's no, I am enough, you know, that I've done the self-work, you know, right now, today, yes, enough. And, yeah. uh, and, and so it's, uh, hopefully something that'll evolve and change. And I hope that the product that we're bringing to market is one that can help companies who intentionally, and there are companies who intentionally want to change this. Yes. Uh, my husband works for a wonderful company called WP Engine and, and they actively are awake in who they are hiring and how they're representing people. And is there enough balance between men and women and people of color and people from different backgrounds educationally? Mm -hmm. um, there are companies like that out there and hopefully we can be a tool to help them further what they're trying yeah, to do. Yeah. The catalyst, right. Yeah. I mean, the catalyst. And, help, that'd and, be great. Yeah. And you know, to, to what you guys are saying, and I, and I see this, you know, in the areas that we work, um, you know, especially in some universes where I, I'm going, Oh my gosh, your company is willing to invest in these tools, these processes that, um, you know, maybe pre-pandemic would have been a, no, we were not going to do all that type thing, you know? Um, but to your point, um, I, I think, um, I think anytime that you introduce solutions that, and, and we realize this going into with our work, I mean, we are asking people to look at something that, you know, historically has not been something, at least in the United States, that we typically like to talk about. And that's called emotions. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I truly understand that. Um, Michelle, if I haven't taken you guys too far down the rabbit hole, I think you were about ready to say something and I cut you off. Well, I was about to throw in that it's not just in investing. It, yeah. It's happening with our grant applications as well. We are actively seeking um grant money as well. And so far crickets, 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 crickets. Some of the questions that get asked um, as part of the application process were like, why are you, what, why are you asking us this? Or we'll get follow-up that we need, we need more. And what they're indicating is we need to be more confident in the risk that we're about to take on you. Um, and that's coming from two different places, really. It's coming from you two are women, and there is already a sense within within our culture that I need to be careful that you really and verify that you know what you're doing and, and all of that kind of stuff. So, so we've got that aspect that there is not as much of a level of trust that women are competent with investment or grant funds. So we've got that to deal with. Plus, if I'm honest. Um, the technology that we've developed is so innovative and so outside of the box as far as what most people think about what technology can do that it, they're having to, they're having a challenge in two different places. They're challenging themselves on how much they trust us 
Mm-hmm. And they're challenging themselves on, I'm not sure I can even wrap my brain around what it is you're trying to do and how you do that. And the fact of the matter is that the technology, our expertise, everything about Tina and I is based in a lot of experience and research. I have mentioned, we have both mentioned actually several things that have been well-proven and studied. The the method that we collect this data is a well-known method, the experience sampling method developed in the 70s. That's why I mentioned it. The... um, Effective events theory, well-known. Um, some of the ways that we calculate this data are already used in the industry. So our net emotional index is calculated the exact same way that the net promoter score is calculated. We mm-hmm. are we have built this on well-known, well-accepted um, scientific methods. It's not like we just pulled this crazy, insane idea out of the air. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of research and science and there's so much backing this up. It's, you know, it's like the the vaccines developed for COVID. That was all built on the back of a lot of other scientific development. Mm-hmm. And you can trust it because of that. I'm saying the same thing about Mindful Appy. It's built on a lot of scientific research and you can trust that it will do what we say it will do. It maybe yeah. is a good time to mention too that psychometrically it is has not been validated yet. That emoji can be used as a measure of emotion. I've searched everywhere high and low. I've seen various studies I've looked at every study on emojis that are probably out there. So we are conducting our own. We have a partnership with Edge Hill University in the UK with a professor who has published more than 60 peer-reviewed journal articles, some of which on cyber psychology, some on emoji, which is why we reached out to her. And she's mentoring us and guiding us and helping us produce a study on emoji to, to measure it against the positive and negative affect scale. That is this industry, you know, this standard scale for measure, measuring emotional state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are emoji uh, equivalent to the positive and negative affect scale, or is there a high enough correlation between the two that we can say that this is a valid way to gather emotion? We're running that study the week after next. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's awesome. I wanted to, 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 cause it kind of ran across my mind as you guys gave the perspective and because I think I can go out on this limb fairly safely to say that I, in my gut, I know that you guys are not telling the world that, oh, how bad, how unfair. And if people would just do this and do that, because I know the amount of perseverance that you've put into your work and you're moving forward, whether mm-hmm. you got this many or that many or whatever, you're not stopping. Right. And that leads, that, that leads me to thinking about those out there who might be listening, who maybe aren't as resilient as you, maybe don't have the breadth of experience that you both have. What would you say, you know, rather maybe somewhat briefly to those folks who are, maybe it's a woman led, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, I have a startup and I'm beginning this, but I'm facing what kind of the things that you're saying. What would you recommend or what advice would you give them about persevering through sort of the mistreatment and unfairness? Michelle, you or me? <laughs> Go ahead. Both of you. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> we, I don't want to start talking and talk over Michelle. <laughs> uh, so we, uh, my advice is um, 
uh, get a sense for me, I'm just going to say what has helped me. I can't yeah. speak for, for any, anyone else other than, you know, I, I've, I've had people physically react to me and be like, wow, this is your office with, with shock and look at me and be like, when I've had like a really nice office downtown or whatever, and I've run a design firm or marketing agency. And I find myself, um, if I, if that self-talk is, wow, looky there, isn't that interesting? How, how interesting. And just really like notice the notice what's happening Mm -hmm. and try not to make it about uh, getting back to your earlier statement. I am enough, uh, To whether or not you firmly believe that in the moment, try to root yourself in the thought that you are enough when something like that happens. And that is someone else's interpretation and their uh, reactions and their um, impressions of you that that have nothing to do with you and with who you are and what you're doing and what your history is. And there's no way that they could know any of those things. So give them the benefit of the doubt. Know that there's a lot of unconscious bias. See if you can find an angle of humor and the humor will help disarm people because often if people slip up like that, they'll realize it pretty quickly if they have any emotional intelligence and you don't want to just send them into a spiral of feeling you know, oh crap, I should, I said that and I should have, she's got a lot of experience. Oh gosh, I'm embarrassed. Right. Right. You know, disarm with a little bit of humor and give the benefit of the doubt. And that has gotten me through a lot of difficult situations and it's kept my mental health (laughs) relatively Mm -hmm. in check and my resilience high. Um, yeah, that, that'd be my advice. Nice. Nice. Michelle, how about you? Oh, so much. Uh, first of all, I would add to what Tina said, and one of the best tools that we have for any type of emotional experience, to be honest, is to get curious. So in the case of what is what Tina frankly described as a microaggression in that, oh, I would, wow, this, this is your office? Really? Um, in those cases, I am beginning to train myself to get curious and go, okay, that was an interesting comment. And what I heard was this, did you actually mean that? Mm -hmm. Um, because I think that a lot of people just don't realize that what came out of their mouth was not what they intended. And they just said something hurtful and to just be vulnerable enough to go, you know what, can I just pause right here and say that thing you just said made me feel this way? Um, It's amazing how something like that will turn it around as well. So whether you want to disarm it with humor or whether you want to get curious about it, both of those are really good tactics. And again, it's a skill that you learn because truth be told, the first several times you experience a microaggression like that, you're going to feel traumatized. And guess what happens when you experience trauma? You lock up. You're, you're not actually going to be able to address it in that moment. And that's okay. That's another thing I need to point out to people is that, you know what, you're not always going to be able to address it right then and there because you just experienced something. It could be trauma. It could be an amygdala, amygdala hijack. It could be anything. And you have to be okay with being able to sit with that and go, I need to actually process what I just experienced. Um, I just had a friend at a conference tell me that she experienced some sexual harassment 
And she was, she told me that she second guessed herself. She goes, was, was that real? Did, did they just actually, or am I misinterpreting something? I'm like, well, no, hold on a second. You're not second guessing yourself. You're mm. processing what you just experienced and taking the time to process that is completely reasonable, completely normal. You did nothing wrong. And taking the time to process it means that moving forward, if you need to report that or whatever, whatever the next step is, that you're able to take it from a place of calm and strength and comfort rather than a place of trauma because you were just traumatized by that event for whatever reason. So things like that where you can give yourself permission to pause long enough to process it and then deal with it totally fine. I highly recommend doing it. Aside from that, you have to believe in yourself. You have to remind yourself, these are the reasons why I'm doing this. And I'm going to continue to do this for these reasons, because these reasons are important. And those are things that I know that probably the person on the outside doesn't. They have no idea what background, what what that story actually is. I believe in myself and I believe in what I'm doing. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. And the last bit is along with the belief and the perseverance is the patience. It's like, okay, this is hard. I'm not going to get the support that other people get to do this, but it's important enough that I'm going to go as slow as I need to go to keep, you know, the lights on and myself fed or, or whatever, you know, I, I'm relating this particularly to the financial challenges that we dream big. And there are lots of things that if we just had the cash, we would be doing them, but we don't. So we won't. But that's okay. We can still go slow and still make a difference. Yeah, that's really powerful. I, Very I wonderful, think, Michelle. Um, <laughs> well, the, if I'm honest, um, the circumstances yeah. of, of uh, our life caused me to have to, to digest and chew on this and make a lot of peace with it. I appreciate you. <laughs> No, well, yeah, Aww. they, 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 these things do not come from a walk in the park with roses. Um, and, and I will tell you from my own experience and this really where both of you have described about, um, it, though not, uh, directly, you know, this idea of a North star, something mm -hmm. that you have your focus on that says, this is why, um, and I've explained this to clients as well, that, you know, I, Again, I'm one of the crazy ones. So disclaimer thrown out there. Um, this was probably in 0203. I literally, I asked God, what did you, why did you put me here? Mm. And he told me. And when I set off like a rocket to pursue that, I thought, oh, six months, <laughs> year tops, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. The longest journey, and it continues today. And now I understand there's no destination. It is ongoing. But that thing, I can look and I can go, that's my North Star. Yep. So when I encounter those things that I go, you know, that's not something you should say to me based on fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. I'm able to deal with it, mm -hmm. but still look up and I still see the North Star. Uh, which is a plug for everyone out there. 
find your North Star. All right, guys. I, and I, I see, I forewarned Michelle and Tina that we could probably do it an Andrew Huberman type of podcast. <laughs> but I gotta be, I gotta be fair to your time and 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 all. So I got one last question, and then we'll kind of wrap it up. So with all of our guests, we typically ask the question. What would you whisper in the ear of your 30-year-old self? And this could be personal, professional, you choose whichever. What would you whisper in? What wisdom would you whisper in the ear of your 30-year-old self? I'll go with that one. Okay. Um, honestly, I, I, and I told Tina this earlier. I said the thing I would want to tell my 30-year-old self the most would be to trust your instincts. At 30, you've lived enough life and experienced enough of the world that you've got the tools, you've got the experience, trust yourself, especially when you've got circumstances in your life where you're like, this isn't right. I need to change this. This, this isn't, this isn't the direction I want to go. This isn't the life that I want to live. Trust yourself and don't let anybody else talk you out of it. That's good. All right, Tina. I would whisper something similar. I think about where I was uh, at 30, uh, two years into a, a new business and one year prior to a divorce. Uh, I would tell myself to stop lying to myself that, uh, and go ahead and just take the action I need to take uh, to be true to myself and, and honest with myself. Because at, at 30, I was... It transitioning between being authentic, what the four agreements, impeccable with your word. I was trying to be impeccable with my word with myself. And uh, I wasn't yet at 30, but uh, very, very soon thereafter, I was getting really honest with myself and making changes. So at 30, I would be like, just do it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you both enough. This has just been so enjoyable. And obviously we want to have you back because we'd like to get an update on the app and how that's going. So that, that's the second invitation to you. And for the audience, uh, we will have all of Tina and Michelle's information as I, I have a brain cramp. I, I was sorry to call you Melissa. So <laughs> see how honest and transparent I am as a podcast host. Uh, but we'll have Michelle and Tina's information in the show notes, as well as their contact information, if you should want to get in touch with them. And with that, thank you again. And thank you everyone for tuning into the show. We look forward to the next time that we're together. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Pennington with The Spirit of EQ. I'm not introducing a new episode today. I'm here to tell you some things that might help you. Jeff, you're with me as always. So yes. how do people get in touch with us? Well, the best way is just send us an email at info at spiritofeq.com. That's awesome. Jeff, I was also thinking about reviews, and I'm notoriously bad at asking for them. So reviews on all of the platforms wherever you get your podcasts yes. you think that'd be good i think that would be great because one that will help us learn how to make better ones and it's always good for us so to we're, hear. we're not the perfect podcast host we're close okay but, all right but, but not, still not totally we want perfect. your feedback we want your feedback but it'll it also might uh let us know a new subject hey we need to dig deeper into that yeah. so let us know what you think 
cool. We really appreciate that. As always, too, there is social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, and we also have a YouTube channel. Those also have mechanisms or, or options for you to be able to leave a comment, a like, or those kind of things. Just want to make sure that you know how to get in touch with us. Right, Jeff? Right. We appreciate you all. Thank you. Once again, we really appreciate you tuning in today. One of the things that Jeff and I want to bring to your attention as well is that when we created this podcast, it was not intended to take the place of a clinician. In other words, if you find yourself in a place where there's something deeper going on or something that you cannot solve on your own, we do recommend that you reach out to a clinician of some sort. This podcast is purely opinion-based and it is rooted in the desire to help you along your path in whatever way we can. However, it is never going to replace, nor should it ever be looked at as a replacement for clinical help in any way. Thanks again for tuning in.